It is just past 7 o'clock on what's been a soggy Monday in South Florida. You're on the True Oldies channel. Tyron Sports. I'm Mike Balsamo here along the way as well. And Ira, you know... We were talking leading up to the past, you know, say six or eight weeks about how we can't wait for all these sports to be here. And now I'm kind of getting like a little sad because in a week or two, all these sports are going to be over again and we're going to have football, which could, I mean, there's worse consolation prizes, but is it starting to hit you that this is all wrapping up? Well, it's it's been awesome. I mean, this weekend with the baseball uh, going forward with two seven-game series for the championship, uh, just watching those. But really, yeah, you got the World Series is this week, and then it, and then it'll be over probably unless you go to six or seven next week, and you're done. You're just gonna have you're not gonna have basketball, you're not gonna have uh, hockey, and you're not gonna have any more baseball. <laughs> it's just gonna be football. But they're gonna be loads of football because now we have the Big Ten starting this week, so we're gonna have football, and they're playing on Friday. So you really plan going to the movies maybe Tuesday and Wednesday nights, <laughs> but they also have some games they play on Tuesday. You saw last week yeah. they played uh, Tuesday night football. So who knows what that what happens? I mean, my mom said, well, "Why are they playing at five o'clock today?" Because I'm watching the Chiefs right now. And uh, and I said, well, they're just trying to get these games in. And, th- and that's what you got to hope for. You can't be upset that they're trying what happens. You just got to roll with the flow and, and, and roll with the punches or whatever and just watch because it's great. I mean, th- and there's tons of football everywhere. Yeah, right now that score is 13 to 10 Chiefs on top of the Bills, a minute 24 left in the third. And Patrick Mahomes has become the fastest player to reach 90 touchdowns. He did it in 37 games, passing Dan Marino, who did it in 40. So, Ira, what have you been up to this week? I know you had a really heck Sunday, and it may be off-putting to some of your friends. Like this guy doesn't even pay attention to us. <laughs> well, no, I think the thing is that uh, I first of all I have all. You know, first of all, you're in lo- have a uh, two laptops. Uh, I have an iPad, two phones, which is beep right there, and so you have all those things, and you're trying to watch. So I was able to get through Saturday good. Sunday became a disaster because I don't have direct TV on my phone, so I have to go to the sports bars. So you found one sports bar close. I was down in Sunny Isle visiting friends, so I go to this one sports bar. I can't get in because it's closed. I go to another one, and it's like a guy says, I can put you here, but it's inside, and you can only see one channel. But who would ever want to watch more than one game at one time? And I'm like, who wouldn't? I watched <laughs> nine. Like, I mean, that's the point. And I finally got in one place, and it was so cool. It was uh, Twin Peaks up and down in Sunny Island. They, they were phenomenal. They gave me a great spot. I turned the games on when I wanted. The place was nice sitting outside. I love to watch games outside anyway. That's so much fun as opposed to up north when you watch these games. And I, so I'm the only person that goes to sports bar that has to have a binoculars because like the Detroit Jacksonville was on a TV a little far away. I got five games and I hard, it was hard to see that. I'm like, oh, you know, I wish I needed my binoculars just to watch the TV. But it was great. I mean, it was a fun, it was just a good weekend to watch those those games and then hustle back and, and then I was at dinner and I have my phone out watching the baseball last night and then when that game's over, then the, you can't get into a bar with COVID. There's all the different, <laughs> these different rules about going in and how late things close, but it's it's fun. Look, it makes it, you know, go, it's, you know, I can't go to the games, so it's fun just to watch these things. You need to post on your Instagram, by the way, it's at Ira on Sports, some of your battle station setups that you have. Because you always pull out all the stops when you got six games going across four sports. It's uh, it's impressive stuff. And once again, follow us at Ira on Sports. Touchdown in that Kansas City game. Uh, Daryl Williams goes 13 yards. It's going to be 20 to 10, KC on top of the Bills. Um, Ira, so we talked about it. Getting down to the nitty gritty, and there's no more nitty gritty in baseball than the World Series. And Congratulations to the Rays. Congratulations to the Dodgers. But these were two amazing series just to get us to the World Series. So let's go back to that. Braves-Dodgers, this was one that... uh, Poor Atlanta, man. This city can't catch a break sports-wise. Well, I mean, I think I would consider this. I, I would consider Braves and Dodgers. They're very similar. Between ninety, between 91 to 2005, 
They 14 out of 15 years, the Braves were in first place. Out of those years, they lost four World Series. They lost four times the NLCS and only won one World Series. Crazy. So for 15 years, there were people who were younger don't realize they were the dominant team. They were like the Yankees who, but instead of winning all the titles the Yankees did, they only won one title. They were the Buffalo Bills of <laughs> exactly. Generation. But the Dodgers are in the middle of their own little this the same problem. For eight years, they've been in first place since 2013. They lost in the 2013 lost NLCS to the Cards. 2014 lost in the Dis- division series. Manley got fired, but then they lose the World Series in seven games. They lose to Houston. Then they lose uh, five games to Boston in the World Series. And then last year, they lost to the Nats. So here's a team that's been the best team in baseball, but that hasn't won a World Series yet. And they need to get their one. And that's they went against the Braves. And this Braves, this young team, I mean, I know that we had Harrison, our intern, and he yeah. loved the Braves coming to the playoffs. I'm like, I just, their, their rotation's too young. They're 22-year-olds and 24-year-olds. I mean, they were supposed to start. Mike Soroka was their big starter. He got hurt towards Achilles. Uh, Flotomitz, who got hurt. Sean Newcomb, Cole Hamels opted out. But using Ian Anderson at 22, Kyle Wright, 25, and Bryce Wilson, 22. I never thought they would pitch that well against the Dodgers. But what a fun team. And they're a team, as people said, this is something we might see year after year after year. This could be a decade. Because Albies is tw- for the second baseman is 22 years old. Swanton's 26. Acuna is 22. They re-signed Marcel Asuna is only 29 years old. He's like the veteran of the group. <laughs> this team is loaded. And they really, they really took it to the Dodgers. And as someone who thinks the Dodgers are like unbeatable, which I believe they are, they are I was getting nervous. I was getting nervous down well, 3-1. Down 3-1. You <laughs> yes. should be nervous. <laughs> So what? No, this was something like you said. I think that the future is as bright for the Braves as any team in baseball. But I thought there was that pitching that was going to hold them back, and then losing their ace the second week of the season was like, oh, here we go. I just didn't think they were going to have it in them. And then here they were staring down one game to go to the World Series and just couldn't get it done. Yeah, I mean, and that in the first game, I mean, that was the one thing that scared me because Bueller, the, we now know the Dodgers have two starters, really. Now, they use everybody yeah. else, but they have two starters, so it's really hard between Bueller and Kershaw, and one of them is just melting down in the playoffs. <laughs> so the point is that the Max Freed goes against Bueller, and Bueller and Freed were, like, lights out for the first, like, one run through nine strikeouts, each one through six innings. But then the Dodger bullpen was the one that fell apart, and the Braves bullpen stayed strong. And that was where they got, you know, home runs from Riley, Acuna doubled and Azuna singled him in and then Albies homer, homer, you know, going up 5-1 in that game and I'm like wow I mean that was what, a shock to Dodgers and you think <laughs> that would wake him up and then you're watching game two and that's where the where Kershaw you're excited okay Kershaw's pitching and everything will be fine he gets scratched Dodgers have to use bullpen by or rotation yeah. by committee they start Gosselin and then the Anderson starts with the Braves and at this point it was like the Bra- Freeman homered uh, then the Dodgers fell apart Gosselin fell apart the lead got up to 7 nothing, and then the Dodgers, like, they're down 7 nothing. They've already down 1-0 in the series. And then they start coming back, and they almost win the game. They, they actually had the, the winning runner at the Pollock rounded out at the, in yeah. the seventh inning, or else they would have won that game to go back. But now they're down 2-0, so that's a disaster. My phone started going crazy. A, a text from you amongst the group, like, here come the Dodgers, here come the Dodgers. And, yeah, just didn't have enough to get it done. But then game three came around, and this was a different story from literally the first minute. Well, it's like one of those games where – I, you just sit down at 11 runs in the first inning, and you're like, the Dodgers, they got the message. They know it get 11 runs in the first inning. Highest scoring ever, inning ever in the history of playoff baseball. I mean, it was 15 to 1. I mean, there was home runs, Peters and Seager, Bellinger, uh, Rias, Muncy had the grand slam. Just Kyle Wright, who had pitched great before, just totally fell apart, and it didn't really matter what happened. And it, the game was over in a second because it was just finished. And uh, to win that, you know, the, and it fed, you know, 15 1. So now you're thinking, okay. 
2-1, Dodgers are down 2-1, everything's under control, and they're going to pitch Kershaw. Here and you're go. like, wait for Kershaw. <laughs> I mean, this is not James Harden. Like, I think this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Like, this is Mickelson. This is, I mean, the, it, it, this is, like, unbelievable in terms of uh, uh, Greg Norman. I mean, th- it's at a level, of, like, the highest level. Like, Greg Norman wins everything, and then he blows these major championships in golf. I just cannot believe Kershaw. Because his in the reg- he, here he is in the regular season, the 2.43 ERA, and he's 4.22 in the postseason. Now, he's pitched a lot of postseason games. Yeah, dozens. But <laughs> dozens of games. And he's had some good ones. But he's also had a lot of bad postseason games. And the Dodgers keep bringing him in relief. And that's when it's the worst thing is don't bring him in relief. But, I mean, here's a guy who's... First pallet, Hall of Famer, maybe a hundred, you know, hundred percent, one hundred seventy-five wins, forty-six losses, twenty-five hundred Ks. I mean, he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. But in the postseason, who and he's in the postseason all the time. It's been <laughs> terrible. And you're like, you're waiting for this game, and he was pitching lights out. You're like, okay, he's pitching great. Mm-hmm. It's Kershaw versus Bryce Wilson. So Wilson's the rookie, the twenty-two-year-old, threw five innings. But in the sixth inning, there it goes. Kershaw gets up. Four her runs in that inning. It just like it just gets them be a mess and it all falls apart just like he did with the Nationals last year. And it just it all went apart. And it just and then they're down suddenly they're they're, they're down eight two. The Dodgers only had three hits the entire game. Now some of the problems with Gershaw is that Dodgers don't score enough, but he's gotta be the type of pitcher that just does lights out. I mean the Schilling, the Verlander, the Randy Johnsons, we know them in the first season, the Andy Pettits, because they they if they had to pitch ten innings, they pitch ten innings. Yeah. They they do whatever they have to do. I heard a comparison of Clayton Kershaw to Marty Schottenheimer. Great regular season, just couldn't get it done in the postseason. And this is what we saw again, Ira, and I I think you have to be a little bit worried about the Dodgers pitching woes going into this if you're a National League or Dodger fan. Well, you know, I, I am, but I think they'll they're gonna still win because then game five comes back and now they're 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 their backs against the wall, they're down three one. And uh they they started with an opener because they can't have Bueller pitch every game. <laughs> so they had they had May pitch and they put Kelly, they put Trident, they had ba- the Baez, and the Braves did the same thing. And the Braves got up to a two elite. I mean, the Braves were up two zero in that yeah. game. But then Seager, who was the MVP of the series, hits a home run to make it two one. And then six Will Smith. Boy, Will Smith had. I mean, he hit like 220 for the series. It seemed like every hit, though, was a big hit. So he had a three-run home run to make it 4-2. Then Seager homered again and made it 7-2. So now it's 7-3, and they're back in, the, they're back in everything going on. And then game six, you had Bueller and Freed restart from the game we had, you know, the first, the, 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 the other game, the rematch of game one. And Bueller lights out. Does it again. Yeah. <laughs> through zero runs. We're talking about he has a blister, he has this problem, he has that, but he just gets everything out. But then the first inning, you had Seager homer, Turner homered, and uh, Bellinger then drove someone in, and they kept that the whole way in. And the key in that game, though, was the bullpen, Trinan, Bias, and then put Jansen. Now, Kenley Jansen, to understand, as someone who followed the Dodgers, has given up so many, as much as Kershaw's given up big hits, Jansen has also. Yeah. And he came in there, lights out one, two, three in the ninth, and I think that gave the Dodgers hope that, boy, Jansen can come in and do, do what he's supposed to do, so that was helpful. And I do think they need Blake Trenin to be dependable and beyond what the, you know, he's been a closer before and with Kenley Jansen being so shaky up until that game, I, I think they're going to need that bullpen depth and uh, hopefully we see it more going forward in this series. But so now we're at game seven and me as a baseball fan, I was biting my nails for both of these teams. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it's like one of those things where you're like, yeah, it could go either. I mean, of course, it can go either way. But at this point, you have Ian Anderson pitching for the Braves, and the and again, they have the Dodgers have to use the opener with May. And I just don't know why they leave. I would left May in earlier. Like he's the one with the red head, the great yeah. red. I don't know. They take him out after an inning or two. I think. I mean, he can pitch longer. He's the starter, so he pitches five or six innings. But they like to, you know, it worked out for Roberts. I mean, he's he's he's, he's a tight wire, wire act on this one, but high wire act. But uh, um, Azuna drives 
drive in a run, and then and and then Swanson. The Braves were up two zero again, and DeGonson was in the game, and then um, and then uh, then Will Smith hit that single up the middle, and Turner and Muncy scored, making it two two. That was smart. I thought that Will Smith always to me, he's the catcher who looks like he's ten years old. But <laughs> it seems like on those some of those plays, the Dodgers their problem, and the yet look, this was the Yankees' problem. Don't try to hit home run all the time. And I think Will Smith, when he drove up the middle and scored them, they're down 2-0. The press would be hit the home run, hit the home run. He's had it done that before. Instead, he just hits it right up the middle, drives in those two runs, and keeps them in the game. You don't, in Game 7, want to get too far back where you're like chasing, uh, chasing, trying to come back. It's almost what we saw with the, with the Rays. It's 714, Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, uh, Mike Balsamo. So we can pretty much uh, wrap this series up. What, what other stats kind of jumped out? Well, I think what, 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 what happened in this game was the fourth inning. I think that's where the Braves lost the game because they got Albies and Swanson on base, Riley singled, so they went up 3-2. So they're up 3-2. There was a wild pitch. They bring Trinan in the game, 3-2, and they're on second and third, no out. So you're up 3-2 in the fourth inning. And uh, Marquez hits the third. And Swanson, so you have Swanson and Riley on two young players. Swanson's young, too. I mean, this was Little League. I mean, Swanson had to run home. But instead, he just, like, no man's land. He runs back to third base. And then Riley's caught. So you have two guys. You get a double play. It should have been one out. You maybe scored a run. Or worst case scenario, have been on second and third. But instead, now you're totally out of the inning. So instead of making that a 3-2 inning, 4-2, 5-2, when every run it matters, you're suddenly just up 3-2. And then what happens in the sixth? Kiki hits his home run, make it 3-3. And then Urias, Urias comes in. Man, seven, eight, and nine. I mean, it's just every inning, one, two, three. He got um, one, two, three in the seven. He got Freeman, Ozuna, and Darno in the eighth, and then to finish it out in the ninth. But the key was then Bellinger's home run. When Bellinger, who has really not been a great playoff performer, when he he just connected on that home run and just like it's just classic. Just hit the ball. Just stop, throw the bat down, run around, and then, of course, throw your shoulder out, celebrating, which was really stupid <laughs> on his part. But that was like, they're there. The Dodgers got everyone performing. Jansen played well. Kershaw, uh, whatever. We'll see if we can get him going back together. But for getting Bellinger hitting, that was key. But that was, I mean, that was really one of the, I think, hopefully, this gets from, I'm rooting for the Dodgers. I hope that gets them over the hump in terms of what they have. I mean, you look at Seager. Their core six of Seager with six home runs, 15 RBIs and playoffs, bets, Tremendous defense, everything hit 311. Will Smith, only one home run, 11 RBIs though, but Bellinger had the key home run. Justin Turner, the third baseman, just to hit to four, four, four home runs, 14 RBIs, and then Max Muncy, uh, the first baseman. And then they use everyone else. I mean, the one thing this Dodger team is a little bit different, their bench is very, they're not using, they put Taylor and Hernandez and Pollock and maybe Jock Peterson comes in, but they're not really moving everything around like they have done in the past. I mean, Roberts is keeping it just those core six and maybe a couple other people in there. The fact that they can use the DH, really helps them. I mean, this is one team, we talked about this two months ago. I said, the Dodgers get the World Series. They're the team that they have the Petersons, they have the players that they can use as a DH. The other, these other National League teams might not have a DH player, so I think that helps a lot. Um, and then you look at their team, like, they have Bueller and Kershaw, through two starters, and then you have Urias, Trinan, May, Gonsolin, Gatterall, Jansen, Baez, Kelly. This, I mean, this just bullpen it's stacked. is stacked. It's stacked, and, I, and Roberts is so stupid, and I think he's going to figure it out. I mean, they all, he almost lost it. I mean, I think at one point, I mean, he could go. If he lost, is is he's gonna be fired? I mean, he has to. Yeah. This is we've said before. The Dodgers have got. I don't care if it's the twenty fifth inning in Game Seven and they lose on a freak thing, then he's fired. Like the Dodgers have to win. There's just nothing else but winning the World Series. Everything else this season will be complete and utter disaster. The roster can't possibly get any better. So if you can't do it with this roster, what are you gonna do it with? So I'm with you. I think he he would be getting the Aaron Boone treatment from from you at least uh, if he didn't pull out the win there. So let's go over to the other series. 
series. Last we spoke, Tampa was up 2-0, Ira, and they're coming off a uh, you know, huge series defeat of the Yankees, and it's looking like, well, they're just going to roll and sweep Houston in four, but Houston ended up giving them a fight. Yeah, I mean, that game three was crazy. I mean, Altuve, who is the MVP. When you look at, you know, Chuck Knobloch syndrome, he can't throw the ball from yep. second base to first base. And then you look at the Rays in that game, and I just marked all the great shots. Renfro had a great catch in, in, in the seventh inning off Springer. Uh, Kiermaier made two amazing catches. I mean, they look like... I mean, they they were playing with like ten players out there because they were running around getting everything. Just a great win in terms of coming up at their five two. So they go three zero now, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, the Astros are done. It's finished. The series is over. There's no way the Rays are going to blow a lead like that. And they have in Game Four their ace. Well, to one of their aces, maybe, but probably their main ace, Glasnow against Granke, but Grinky. But boy, I mean, the Astros, they just never get around. I mean, even when Azarino, who we'll talk a little bit later, who Jesus is guy. the most amazing story in the world. And then Springer ties it with a two run home run. And then, uh, and then Grinky got out of the one inning. But it was like, it was one of those things where uh, the Houston hand, you know, hung on for a 4 3 game. And then both game, game five also, Houston was. Uh, uh, they won 4-3, but that was the Carlos Correa walk-off home run. To see a walk-off home run in that game, that was that was awesome to see in terms of – it was like – this type of series was like home run after home run. Each team was kind of different a little bit than the Dodgers series because each team was going with the home runs. And then in game six, uh, Valdez was for Houston. Snell was for the Rays. And uh, Springer, Altuve, Correa make the lead 4-1 and that and 5-1, and they sort of coasted. And that, that left up for game seven. And then going into Game 7, like I said, I had no anticipation that they were going to be able to come back and force this IRA. So, again, I'm sitting there, you know, chomping on my nails for both cities, for, for all American League and baseball fans. And this was another good one. Craig Morton is just uh, – uh, Charlie Morton is just, was just tremendous. I mean, against McCullers. Now, this is where Houston missed the fact that they don't have the stars that they had last year. They don't have the Verlanders. They don't have the Garrett Coles. They didn't really have McCullers to start that game. And Azarino had a home run, uh, makes it 2-0. And then Zunino had another home run, make it 3-0. And then Altuve made his error, which I thought was wrong. So it was like – it seemed like Houston was just battling back from the beginning. But to take Morton out after 66 pitches in the sixth, Maldonado had Maldonado had walked. Springer got in in there, and Altuve had infield hit. So they were first and third, and had one out. But it didn't seem like they. I wouldn't have pulled him. He was pitching lights out, mm-hmm. one hitter. They take him out of the game, and then Anderson got Brantley to ground out. So that was that was their big you know situation. It was still three zero in the bottom of the sixth, and Zeno sacrificed by the choice. So they're four zero. But, boy, the Astros come back. I mean, Korea single, drove in two runs. But then they had men on base. And Bregman strikes out in the ninth. Um, they Guerrero got on. They're you know, down 4-2, and Reddick struck out. So that was, that was the Astros finally didn't make it. I wanted to see the Astros-Dodgers because of all the history of the teams and the fact that the Dodgers blamed the Astros for cheating, and that's why they didn't win the World Series. So I sort of was rooting for that. I wanted to see the Astros-Dodgers rematch. But I, mean, I only wanted to if the Dodgers won. <laughs> I couldn't deal with Houston uh, winning that without cheating or whoever they wanted to claim it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just want to talk about Azarino for a second. I don't think anybody knew who this guy was six weeks ago, and now he might be one of the best players in baseball. It's incredible. So he had 21 hits for the Rays, and and the uh, next highest for the, the Rays was uh, Margo at 10 hits. And the fact is that if they, without, as they only hit like 200. Without him, they would hit like 100. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And he's a 25-year-old rookie. Um, he was acquired from the Cardinals in the offseason, but missed the start of the season. So we might have seen him down here 
at, yeah. at Jupiter. And he had a positive COVID test. He, so he didn't start till August 30th. So no one knows about this guy, August 30th. Um, and, and he had seven home runs in September. And now he's having this breakout postseason, 14 games. He's hitting 382 uh, with seven home runs, 14 RBIs. Uh, just amazing performance. And, uh, you know, it was like he was born in Cuba. He left the country five years ago on a small boat landing in Mexico, and he found his way to an academy in tourist uh, Tijuana where he had to share cleats with other players. <laughs> this is only a few years ago. The Cardinals yeah. spotted him playing for the Toros version of the minor league team. They signed him, and he just made his major league debut right now. Um, it was just what a performance. And that's why, I mean, he's their only hitter. I mean, they're using everybody else's platooning, but he's the only one hitting. And for the Astros to let this guy beat him, I mean, that's, I think if his name was Barry Bonds, they would just walk him all the time. I mean, yeah. Clearly, he was the only one hitting every time he was up. And I just don't know why. And I just cannot believe the Dodgers would be stupid enough to realize you have, they have one hitter to use. They, he murdered the Yankees in that series prior. And I was wondering if it was just a flash in the pan. And then he keeps it going, which is just amazing. Uh, so we're going to see that series start tomorrow, Ira. And I'm really excited about it. We're going to see Kershaw and Glass now go in game one. And I got to tell you... I think I might take the Rays just based, you know, they have this this saying that, you know, bullpens win. It's like a defense in football. And if we're going to talk about bullpens, the Rays do have the much better complete bullpen. I, they don't have the hitting ability, and I don't know what we're going to see from Blake Snell. He seems very up and down. But I, I think that this might be the team to do it, Ira. Either way, I think it's going to be a really good series. I think it'll be a good series. I think that they can get a couple. I, like, I'm nervous. Look, I'm going to go with Kershaw over Glass now. That's going to be exciting to see. you got to think Glass now has the credit, even though Kershaw is Hall of, first ballot Hall of Famer. But I think Kershaw is going to pitch well. i got to hope something. And I just think the Dodgers just have so many great hitters. You look at their lineup, and every one of them can hit. They're all they, There's no all, easy out. <laughs> and they have been in this. They're money hitters. They've been in the playoffs. They've been battling this year after year after year. I just think, and there's no, I think they're going to be able to, I think their hitters are going to be great now. But you have, you know, Craig Morton is 3-0. He's a 0-5 at 7 ERA. And he was, he was signed two years, $30 million contract. Now, who else would like to have signed two years ago when they did that? And he was the winning pitcher in Game 7, but he also, in seven of ALCS, making him the first pitcher with three Game 7 wins in Major League history because he was the winning pitcher in Game uh, 7 of the 2017 ALCS uh, with the Astros. When he had, And then also in 2017 World Series, he won the Game 7. So he's had, I mean, two big Game time 7. Pitcher. Yeah, he's a big-time <laughs> pitcher. And, you know, it's going to be questioning how the, the pitching match is going. Kershaw will start, then his bullpen, and you, you bring back Bueller on short rest. I mean, if I'm the Dodgers, I do not start Bueller or Kershaw on short rest. The short rest thing does not work. I just don't think with these pitchers, I would not start anyone. And I would use my bullpen committee. Urias is pitching. Urias is pitching great. And uh, I just think I would keep doing that. would not do on short rest. And I think if I was the Rays, I wouldn't do short rest when they have actually three pitchers and the Dodgers only have two. So one of my things, you know, I knew uh, a half a decade ago when the um, Royals made the, the World Series for the first time, it just seemed to me like this will be their learning year. And then they'll probably come back and win it next year. And that's what happened. And I'm wondering if the Rays are going to need that learning experience here or jump right in. But like I said, either way, I think this should be a really good series. Um, looking at NFL, it's now 23-10. to 10. Uh, Harrison Butcher just knocked a field goal through for the Chiefs. They are starting to pull away nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter over the Bills. Um, it, we, all of the talk in the NFL, Ira, has just been offense, offense, explosive offenses, overs uh, hitting every single night. And that's what it's been so far. And then I think maybe we're starting to come back to earth a little bit after this week. Yeah, I mean, you look at all the games, and there was like, especially I'll give you an example, the Denver-New England game. I mean, there was a point where there was only field goals late in the fourth quarter, yeah. and you're starting to see these teams, and now you're watching college football, and college football, the defenses just aren't there. It's like it's, <laughs> it's almost volleyball. Like when you serve in volleyball, you win a point, you win a point, you win a point. 
I mean, it was, but in, in finally the defense is there. Where, where have the defenses been? And they, because I think every over was being hit. It was going crazy. Mm-hmm. But this weekend it was finally the unders, the defenses played well. And it was exciting to see that. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things to see from this weekend. Also, rookie wide receivers. Now, I drafted in my fantasy. I think drafted wrongs, but Jefferson from LSU, from Minnesota. Huge game. Huge game. T. Higgins, who from Clemson, uh, from Cincinnati, he got another big game. And C.D. Lamb, from who plays that, you know, he's had two good, great weeks in a mm-hmm. row from Oklahoma for Dallas. So it was, uh, it's one thing. And Ruggs has had a good year. These rookie wide receivers that usually, if you're a rookie wide receiver, oh, you'll sit, you'll wait. And Claypool, can't forget him for the Steelers. And we'll talk more yes. about him later. <laughs> um, LaVisca Chenault, too, of the, of the Jags, someone else to be watched out. I mean, all these guys are doing pretty darn good so far. Ruggs is probably the the one holdout, and he's the first one overall. He just had that one uh, big touchdown a week ago. Um, So let's talk about tonight's game, Ira. Obviously, we're in the middle of a Monday night game now, but we will have a second one later. It's Arizona taking on Dallas, and this is going to be Andy Dalton's first uh, go from the beginning of the game. I'm interested to see how this one plays out. A lot is riding on uh, Andy Dalton's shoulders from here on out. No, I think this game is so intriguing. I mean, Kyler Murray, I was reading about him, so he grew up around Dallas and was one of the greatest high school players in the history Mm -hmm. Of uh, Texas, and he's six and zero in ATD Stadium. He won three state titles there, so <laughs> it's like he's familiar with that. And the star, one of the star wide receivers for Dallas, Ceedee Lamb, played with him in college. So that's interesting about that fact. Also, Andy Dalton grew up in Texas, and also now he never played. He was he's old enough, so we I don't think he played in that stadium for his state title games. But the fact that there you have all these uh, Texas, <laughs> uh, you know, people who grew up in Texas, but. Uh, uh, you know, anyone who hasn't seen the Cardinals, we've been talking about Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray, number one draft pick two years ago, and they never, this is their first primetime game. So this is a chance for, I think, the country to see Kyler Murray, you know, emerge because, you know, the year before was Baker Mayfield was the number one yeah. pick, and we're looking at all his problems. And I'm, Kyler Murray's been under the radar because they play at the four o'clock, we talked about this, they play the four o'clock games that no one gets to see, they're whatever. And I'm just excited to see Kyler Murray, to see DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, the wide, wide receivers. You remember Kenyon Drake here, played. In Miami, he's going to be a big role in the in running game. So I'm pumped at Patrick Peterson, their cornerback. It's you're going to see the Cardinals, who I think is this up and coming team, and the Cowboys. Uh, we'll see what they do with Andy Dalton. Uh, and we're going to find out tonight. This is yeah, like I said, I'm looking for, like you said, I'm looking forward to this. You're right. Uh, they kind of get buried in Arizona, even when they have a good, exciting team. Just don't see them enough. So that that'll be a great uh, primetime game tonight. Let's go back to last Monday, Ira. You know, you, you just talked about a rookie quarterback and Kyler Murray that everyone's loving. I don't think anybody saw Justin Herbert coming. And, I mean, maybe down the line. But nobody this soon. The Chargers lost, again, another close one. But here you go. Justin Herbert had a lead on Drew Brees at the end of the game. He's done this to all these big-time quarterbacks. Regardless, the Saints win. But I don't think they were happy about how that one played out. <laughs> that was Well, they're up 20-3. to three, And yeah. you're like, what's going on? And the fact that Kamara for the Saints played great. And uh, Brees was able to hang in there. Now he's going to get Michael Thomas back. So we'll see if that, uh, if that helps. But certainly Brees was... Not he's not on his rare game in terms of playing, but you know, uh, Manuel Sanders is now playing better. But to be down twenty to three, uh, the Chargers. But the Chargers look—they kicked a fifty-yard field goal, they win the game. They had a fifty-yard field goal that they missed, and that, that would have won the game. Then go to overtime and not even you know to get the situation where they kicked the field goal. The Saints kicked the field goal, and then the Chargers you know went and couldn't score. But uh, it was it was like one of those games. But Herbert, four touchdowns, three hundred yards. He's looking fantastic. Yeah, and if Mike Badgley doesn't at the uh, upright. The Chargers win that game, right. you know. So that one, another really close one. But if you're if you're Justin Herbert and you're a Chargers fan, you got to be excited about at least the direction this team is going. So we talked about it last week. Miami hadn't covered an eight point uh, an eight point spread in eighteen years. 
But I just like they're going to do it versus the Jets because the Jets are just that bad. They are now the official front runner in the, in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes as Miami puts them to bed 24 nothing. But I think the big news from the game is seeing Tua Tagovailoa finally step on the field. I think for Miami, it's seeing Tua on the field. And for the Jets, it's like if you're a Jets fan and you see what Trevor to see Lawrence did. the Giants did, and the Falcons win. Yes. I mean, if you and you're looking at if you're Trevor, if you see Trevor Lawrence and how Trevor Lawrence played the previous week uh, last on Saturday and put up 72 points against Georgia Tech and had. Uh, they're at 52 points at halftime. And just, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is is going to be a superstar in the league. He's a Hall of Famer. And the Jets are in the driving. Tw- I mean, if I'm a Jets, I'm, all my Jet fans want them to lose. I mean, this is a point. This season's a oh, disaster. Yeah. But Andrew Ga- in, 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 Gase is now, Adam Gase is now 30 and 40 as a coach with 31 double-digit losses. Um, what a disaster. I mean, we're not, you can't even talk about the game. It's just, it was a mess. The, yeah. the Jets they're are, so bad. They're, they're pathetic. And I, I do like what I see we've seen all these coaches that they have come from the Belichick tree and they've struggled and they've had problems. And you saw Roman Cordell and Charlie Weiss and the Matt Patricia's and Josh McDaniels and go on and on and on. I think Brian Flores is more Belichick than they are because it just seems like everything they do, like he figures out how the running game works. He uses different running backs. And the one thing, what is Belichick best at when you're, when you're a favorite over an, an AFC East team, you destroy them and make, and, and the <laughs> game's right. over. And that's exactly <laughs> what he did. It wasn't like this close game was ever, they were a better team. They were half point favorites and the game was even close and Fitzpatrick played great. And I'll tell you what, Ryan Fitzpatrick, what a guy. When they put two in the game, he was happier than two. He's happy. He's jumping up and down. He's telling the fans to cheer him. Everything. What an attitude. I mean, what it just a great Tua walked into the perfect situation with this team with Fitzpatrick there. And I really, you know, you can just go through with the Dolphins. I mean, I was like taking notes while I was watching this game of everything. I mean, their defense is now good. Great. The Jets were two and seventeen on third down, and the Dolphins are one of the best defenses on third downs in the in the you know in the league. Um, Xavier Howard, oh, just another interception. And it, with Byron Jones in terms of the secondary, the Jets have a. I mean, the, the uh, Dolphins have a great secondary. They didn't even have Carl Van Noy, arguably their best player. He was out, and they still were able to stop it. I mean, Jets had 14 possessions, half ended in three and outs, and the other three were just four plays. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it was just, don't even, it was crazy. But Tua came in there for the final plays. He had two for the final series. He had two passes, short passes, and then it was nice after the game. He sat on the field and FaceTimed his yeah. parents. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's like it's, it looks like a great situation where when Tua does take over, it's going to be a situation. I wonder if Fitzpatrick. I was thinking in my mind, he's thirty-seven. Is this something he'll want to stay? If there's not a head, if there's not a, a starter's job anywhere, would he want to just stay as a backup here? Because he seemed to be the perfect backup behind Tua because they get along will. so well. I, then, I think he's already loved in Miami. Who wouldn't want to live in Miami? I, I don't see why he wouldn't stay on. For, as a backup and just as, you know, in case of an injury. I mean, it seems well, like the perfect fit. And he's a smart, he would think that he's someone who wants to go into coaching perhaps yeah. and go back into coaching. This would be a good situation to work with. But no, I mean, if you, and you're for the Dolphins, you're able to groom Tua and knowing that if something happens with Tua with injuries or whatever, you have Fitzpatrick there who's familiar, of course, with the system. I think it would be a perfect match. And I just can't remember. I mean, we see all these things where when, uh, uh, you know, when the quarterbacks, I mean, you know, with Favre and Rodgers, they don't get along and yeah. all the situation. I mean, this is, he is really supporting him tremendously. And it was the best possible scenario you could have for a rookie quarterback. So Josh Allen says, not letting this one get out of hand too easily. Just scored a touchdown, eight-yard pass to uh, Cole Beasley. It's now 23-17, 634 left to go in the fourth. KC on top of the Bills. So, uh, Ira, they say a sucker's born every minute. And yesterday, that was me. Uh, I was looking at this game between Green Bay and Tampa, thinking to myself, at this one-point line, I think the Packers are going to crush them. And it was one of those Vegas trick bets. And before you knew it, Tampa was just smoking Aaron Rodgers. I could not believe the defensive effort. Um, 
it's what a game what a game yeah. and it was to have the two hall first ballot hall of fame or, you know whatever the two of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game they've only played each other twice which i was just it's crazy yeah, to AFC, think that AFC. and uh and to see that and i was i was really excited and it's one of those games where I thought Tampa was going to win because Brady had the problem with Chicago early in the week. He didn't know what down it was. And whenever Brady has those situations where people say, what happened? He's too old. The game's passing by. He comes back with this great performance. Um, it was this score of 38 to 10. It was tied for the third largest margin of victory in NFL history against a team that entered 4-0 or better. And they're, now the Packers are 0-2 coming off a bye under Matt LaFleur. They've lost the, those games by combined Usually when you come off a bye, you play better, you know, the Belichick way. Is, uh, but they're, they've been outscored 75 to 18. But uh, it was, you know, the, the Packers looked, they were killing everybody. They looked like they were ready to go. Well, they were and, world beaters. And world beaters. And Tampa's, you got to give credit to Tampa's defense. And, boy, at the end of the game, Tampa just ran that down. And we talk about this sort of off the air. It seems like, you know, these are games where... Uh, Aaron Rodgers in these big-time games, when he gets behind, it just gives up. Yeah. I mean, against San Francisco last year, those two games I remember, the one in the play, one in the championship game and the one during the regular season on the Monday night or whatever, just got blown out and couldn't get them back in the game. And this is a game he was up 10-0 on, and then he throws – he's only thrown – Three pick sixes an entire two pick sixes in his entire life, and he threw his third back to and back. almost could be his fourth. I mean, it went down to the one yard yeah. line. So you're up ten nothing, totally control the game. The Buccaneers had the ball like for three plays in the first quarter, and suddenly you're down by that. It was just it was one of those weird, weird games. And uh, Gronkowski scored a touchdown. He got back. He had five mm-hmm. catches for seventy eight yards. Chris God, I told you, I think when Chris Godwin came back, I think he adds so much. He's their best wide receiver. He's better than Evans, and I think having him from Penn State and everything. But I, I think. Having him back was was helpful for Brady. But it really wasn't Brady to put up these ridiculous numbers. He threw 160 yards and two touchdowns. But it was really Rodgers. His 16 for 35, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, four sacks. And at the end of the first half, that sack on Sue did on him where he comes back and Sue just didn't even, they don't get along. And Sue just, instead of tackling him and tell him, just shoved him, just put his hands on his chest and shoved him 10, 15 yards down. <laughs> and Rogers falls down. Like, we're going to call like intentional roughness for shoving a court. Like, yeah. he didn't even tackle the guy. Like, that's how it was, it was so embarrassing. And then at the end of the game, you're seeing all this. I mean, who would have thought Blaine Gabbers? I mean, all these backups. It was, it was a crazy game. And the fact that the, that the uh, um, Packers just could not, they went five straight possession in the second half of that with just punting the ball not even putting in doing anything when you look at the list of quarterbacks who have more fourth quarter comebacks than Aaron Rodgers it's crazy Ryan Tannehill has more Derek Carr has more and that I don't know if that goes to show that he's usually in the lead or that he just can't close it out when he's behind but either way that's a pretty damning stat yeah, and then and then I gotta give the Buccaneers credit. I mean, this is when the, you're looking at the Buccaneers saying, "Look, this is like this was a big boys game because these are two teams that were you're gonna say could be in the Super Bowl along with Seattle. I mean, these are the elite teams playing, and when one blows out the other, then you're looking at Ronald Jones run that ball at the end of the game, and they just could not tackle. It was first down after first down after first down, and Ronald Jones is not the greatest running back in the world, and they just couldn't tackle him. And that's the offensive yeah. line. The Packers were just beat up on offense and on defense, and you know, right now you're saying, "Look, Tampa and Seattle are the two best teams in the NFC." Absolutely. It's 7.37, Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, uh, Mike Balsamo. So, Ira, I've got no skin in the game in the AFC, but i got to tell you, I was so satisfied to see Pittsburgh just beat up on Cleveland. I just don't like that team. I don't know if you saw this stat. Yesterday, uh, Baker Mayfield had 12 commercials during the game and one first down. That's not, that's not the best stat. You must have been pretty happy watching this one. Again, this is another one of these. You got to look at emotion in these games, and I felt like I the 
underlying story of this game was last year I was at the Cleveland game. I was in Cleveland, yeah. the Miles Garrett Mason Rudolph game. And the, not only was that, remember what happened. The Steelers were getting beat in that game. They don't have Ben. They're not playing well. The Browns were embarrassing them at the end. I, I, if I, I said, Tomlin, they should take Rudolph off. They should have ran the ball. I don't know what they were doing. We were, the game was over. But it was like the Browns were celebrating. They were just, it was too much. It was like they had just won the Super Bowl. This was yeah. ludicrous. And you don't think that the Steelers saw what went on and then all the Michigas with Garrett and taking the helmet and then he said the helmet and blaming Rudolph for it and all the things that happened after that. And now they're playing like I knew this was good. I mean, this and they say, oh, it's so nice that Garrett went up to Tomlin for the game. I didn't see Garrett go up to Rudolph before the game, though. <laughs> but I just thought it was like, well, I think the Steelers had a lot. They were they were fired up for this game, so I was not that surprised about. I, I thought they were going to blow them out too, but not as this game was over in the first two minutes of the game. Yep, and Baker looked very very pedestrian once again, and that team just looked bad. And it was kind of uh, exciting to see. How about Minka Fitzpatrick? Another pick. I mean, this guy continues to do it and play at a high level since coming over from the Dolphins. Much of the Dolphins still at him in their secondary as well as all those other studs be looking pretty good. So well th- it shows you know that he had the, he had the interception pick 6 make it 10 nothing then he had another interception after that but the Steelers drive again we talked about this last week I think I, I looked, I had to go through the notes and look how they had uh, Ben completed six passes to six different wide receivers. Smith-Schuster, Claypool, Ebron, Washington, Connor. Like, he was just working it down. Like, this is perfect for Ben. And Con- James Connor ran great. This is a, and you bring Claypool in. At a, I mean, I think one of our, uh, someone sent an email about the show saying, I, I didn't appreciate him. And I didn't know what name, and I didn't. I mean, if, if he was, he would have been drafted higher than everybody else. I mean, there's a reason why he went in the second round and not earlier in the first round. Yeah, we've got a very loyal listener to this show. His name is Mark, and he uh, emailed us over the weekend that Ira doesn't give enough credit to Chase Claypool, and he had another uh, very solid game um, as a rookie, so just crazy how they just pull these guys out of nowhere, Ira. Yeah, and then they show, the other thing I want to point about the game, Devin Bush got hurt, which is really, so he tore his ACL, so he's going to be out for the rest of the year, the star linebacker uh, out of Michigan for the yeah. Steelers, but this Robert Spillane came in the game from Western Michigan, and he played well. He was undrafted, um, but his grandfather, I was looking at this fact, I thought it was great, his grandfather is Johnny Latner, who was in 1953 won the Heisman Trophy. So that's that's pretty cool. And he played for the Steelers in 1954. Really? Yeah, so he's like, <laughs> one year he played for the Steelers. But um, no, it was a big win for the Steelers. And, and now we're going to talk about the, about this next game, but they're, they're at Tennessee next week. So you're going to have another one of these big matchups. So speaking of Tennessee, they played twice since our last show based off these weird COVID scheduling quirks. This first game was really, I think, testing the waters for the AFC, Ira. As you see, Tennessee uh, play Buffalo. And they were both undefeated going into this game. And we were going to see who's real and who's a pretender. And Tennessee kind of put that to rest pretty early in that game. Yeah, I mean, and their de- Tennessee's defense played great, and they destroyed them 42-16. to 16, But it was like, I, you know, with everyone was concerned because they weren't practicing. They had all the COVID issues. What's gonna, how's this going to affect them? What, how is you know, this? You know, I've, I've been talking to doctors. I mean, a lot of, they had so many players on COVID that they're allowed to take. There's some steroids they're allowed to take. Does that help them in these games? We don't know. But that Tennessee, everyone was looking for Tennessee to come out flat. Like, yeah. they haven't practiced. Boy, they came out amazing. They and were Josh just, Allen came out flat. <laughs> they came out flat. But that was a big – I mean, uh, Tuesday – I mean, when was the last time you saw a, two, a game played on Tuesday night in the NFL? It was crazy. But what a win. And, and that was like sort of the state game where Tennessee says, no, we're, we're here. Like, we're not just the team that's nice. And, and it's sort of justifying the whole signings of Tannehill and Derrick Henry uh, for those two at the beginning of the year. Because we question why give Tannehill all the money? Why give Derrick Henry all the money? Well, they know what they're doing. Well, so um, so yesterday, I'm busy during, the, the, during their game versus Houston. And I went to college in Tennessee, and my phone's blowing up with, you know, it's Tennessee's year. We got this. We got this. 
and I look up, and wow, Tennessee's smoking Houston. Look back 20 minutes later, and Houston's winning. And it's like, how did this happen? One of the most bizarre games I've seen on a Sunday in a long time, and this one went down to the wire, but Tennessee gets another win. They're unbeaten in that AFC South and pretty much just going to walk away with this division. Well, that was a weird game because at the end, Houston, Robo Cornell's the coach because Bill O'Brien was – was fired and they he, they score a touchdown instead of going for the they're up set they're go and they're they're up seven and they go up they would go up and kick an extra point it would be go up eight mm-hmm. so they, all they do is kick an extra point and go up eight points but they chose to go for two so now they're up and to go up nine so thinking they'll end it if they do at that point but instead they don't they don't get it so now they're only up seven and then boy Tannehill that drive, you talk about a drive at the end of the game yeah. he was they scored with four seconds to go with AG Brown in the end zone I mean that was that was probably the last play they would have thrown um, just a nice great way to end it and then in overtime Henry his 50 or three yard screen pass then he ran it out of the Wildcat um, Henry had 22 I mean we, I'm going to give you a set like 212 yards Running backs are not running for 200 yards in today's NFL, but he had 22 carries for 212, and he does this all the time. He's the best running back in the NFL right now. Yeah, I think people were kind of scratching their head about fantasy this year. He had a great eight games, but a mediocre eight games. Where do we draft him? He's looking like the number one wide receiver at a t- It's not even close. Running back, running back. But, right. Yeah, number one running yeah, back. Yeah, he had the nine, right. He had the, he had the uh, 94 yard. I mean, first of all, he's catching balls out of the backfield this year, and he just you cannot stop him at the line of scrimmage. And he has that speed. Once he passes the line of scrimmage, you can see him out running people, safeties, and quarterbacks. He's tremendous. Some of watch. these corners look afraid to tackle him in the <laughs> yes. open field too. Okay, so Ira, New England and Denver. I I feel like this game's been moved, shuffled, changed a dozen times. We finally got to see it, and Cam Newton just didn't look like the Cam Newton we saw for those first couple of games. I well, I'm gonna here. This is my. I was getting. I heard all the commentators talk about this. First of all, the New England has had no practice whatsoever. They've been totally shut down, and Cam Newton had COVID himself, so yeah. he was probably getting tested. wasn't allowed to do anything. wasn't allowed to be involved. I didn't think. Look, it was a crazy game. Denver had scored six field goals and made it eighteen to three. But at the end of the game, Newton was coming back. I mean, he was leading them back into the game, and they almost. I mean, they they barely came back and they kicked a field goal, then they scored a touchdown, and that last drive was hilarious. Well, first of all, Drew Locke. What was he doing for Denver? They have this lead. Everything's under control. He throws a he throws a uh, he throws a, a pick. He throws an interception, and then two minutes later, on the next play, he throws another interception, back to back interceptions. So you have this easy lead. Don't throw these interceptions. I mean, how was he thinking? By the end of the game, they were trying. Uh, Belichick had everything coming out, or McDaniel's too. They were, they were having Edelman. They had two halfback passes. One of them, Edelman threw to to uh, Cam Newton to go. I mean, they were as I said, they were coming down at the end of the game. It was eighteen twelve, and they're trying to score the touchdown. On fourth down and fourth and 10 with a minute to go. He just overthrew Harry. Um, that was a weird play. The whole play call at the end was I felt they could have, like this sound, This game had the feel of a 1918 win for New England when they were coming back there, and then yeah. they just they couldn't do it. But I'm not ready to throw, say, oh, this year's terrible, the whole thing is bad, da-da-da-da, on and on. I think, I thought Kim played, I thought he played great coming back there at the end. So going to Baltimore and Philly, and this was one kind of like the Tennessee game where I, I, I think that with a minute left in the second quarter, Eagles had seven yards. And the Baltimore was just crushing them. Then if you look away for 20 minutes, you look back, and Philly's right there. Even if it was garbage time uh, scores, they made this game a lot closer than it needed to be. Yeah, oh, I mean, I watched that game. It was one of those games that was right in front of me, and I just could not. The Ravens were up 24-6. They, at one point, they were up 30-14. to And the Eagles drove down on fourth and nine and made it 30 to 22, getting the two point conversion. And then the Ravens went three and out with one minute and got one yard. Now, come on, Ravens. Like, I hate the Ravens, so I'm against them. I want them to lose. (laughs) I'm a Steeler. But I mean, if you're supposed to be such a great team against 
the Eagles defense and you get the ball, really, they got one first down, this game's over. And they go three, they go three and out really fast. I mean, how with one, in one minute and then, you know, they're calling timeouts. Eagles get the ball. Then what do the Ravens do? 50 yard pass interference. They come down, they score, they give up another touchdown. And then the Eagles had a chance on a two point conversion. If they score, they stop Wentz. But um, I don't know. I'm not willing to say that Wentz was great. I, again, I'm, on the other hand, I'm saying Nugent had a great comeback on this one. But I just don't know. The, the pass interference was, was crazy. He just threw the ball up there. And I just thought it was really poor on Baltimore's part. I think they just gave, they thought the game was over. And this is a problem with Baltimore. That's why they, they get overconfident. They're a beatable team. Last year against Tennessee, they thought the game was easy. They yeah. didn't try. They're, they're not mentally. I think there's, there's, they're not mentally tough. No, definitely not. And that's going to come back to haunt them in the playoffs if they don't get this straightened out. So I re- there's a saying in golf. That there's no pictures on the scorecard. Doesn't matter how, if you have some ugly shots. If you get the ball in quick, it's a good hole for you. Chicago might be the ugliest five and one team I've ever seen. Another game yesterday, not pretty, but they're standing at the top of the NFC North. You know what? They're going to make the playoffs, but they'll lose. They're not good enough. I mean, Nick Foles. I mean, I think their hope is that Nick Foles gets this magic that he did for Philadelphia yeah. and somehow with the defense they had. But boy, I mean, they looked bad in the game. Carolina was terrible. Bridgewater was awful throwing interceptions, two, two horrendous interceptions. They're going to get Christian McCaffrey back next week. Look, I think Carolina is playing better than I expected. Matt Rule's doing a great job for his first year. Um, they are playing hard. But I just think it was one of those weird games. I mean, Chicago, Foles, but clearly Foles is good. I mean, I, I, all these teams give up on him. And I think he's found a home here. And, uh, and, and Trablitsky is, they cannot bring Trablitsky in a quarterback. I no, guess. he's done. <laughs> <laughs> Last game we'll talk about here, just because it was a huge matchup in the NFC West, San Fran versus L.A. And here we were thinking, man, L.A.'s 4-1. and one. They're beating people pretty handily, even though it's the NFC East. I thought that they would win this game. And here you see San Francisco storming back and had a nice convincing win over a division opponent. Well, I, I call this the Super Bowl loser game because both <laughs> of these teams have lost in the Super Bowl in back-to-back years. And I think both teams think they're better than they are. And that's the weird thing. And I just feel like that. But it was like... Boy, the Rams. I mean, the Rams had beat every team. It's the weirdest schedule. They beat every team in the NFC East, as you said, and they can't beat anybody else. And they looked <laughs> so bad, and Goff was terrible, and they were dropping passes and not playing good defense. And George Kittle just destroyed them, the tight end for San Francisco. And San Francisco had not really looked good the previous week that you saw against the Dolphins. They come back and win this game. I, if I'm Seattle, I'm like, I feel good because now <laughs> I have that division. But, but that's what... There, I think there's like a bunch of frauds in the NFC, and I think Tampa Bay, and I think I think Brady and Russell Wilson are be playing the NFC Championship game. Um, what are we watching this week? Um, well, I mean, this there's definitely Thursday. You can actually miss. You can watch the, the debate on Thursday night because Giants are playing at <laughs> Philadelphia, which is probably not to be able to watch. But next week, the Philadelphia Pittsburgh is going to be at at uh, Tennessee. Uh, and then Seattle and Arizona. Seattle, Arizona, do tonight. Seattle, we get to see Russell Wilson come back. And then an interesting game, San Francisco at New England. But Sunday night's game is pretty exciting. Tampa Bay, get to see uh, Tom Brady at Vegas. And Vegas is playing really well. And I think this, that's going to be an exciting game in Vegas. I wish the fans were there. That Everyone was talking about that game with Brady coming there that year. I mean, it's weird when you have friends everywhere saying, oh, I can't wait till this team comes in. And then, of course, there'll be no fans in the stands. <laughs> uh, let's switch gears to NCAA, Iran. Everyone knew that Bama, Georgia was going to be the game of the week maybe the game of the season and alabama showed that we are a force to be reckoned with boy the first matt jones gets intercepted like the first play of the game or a couple plays into the game and i'm like wow georgia this is real because the question is 
I said that Alabama is going to score, 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 and Georgia has this good defense, and what could happen? And uh, the line was like four and a half, five. So it wasn't, it wasn't that huge amount of line I thought was. But Stetson Bennett came back to earth there. But uh, Joe, Matt Jones threw that 40-yard touchdown to John Matchy. Um, and it was like the first half was like his tale of two halves because Georgia hung in there. Because every time when Alabama scored, Georgia then scored and matched. Uh, they ran the ball well. And the end of the first half was 24-20 Georgia. And you're like, okay, that's, you know, Georgia feels great at that. And how about they don't score the rest of the game? They don't do anything the rest of the game. I mean, they had in the, in the second half, they had two punts, two interceptions, and a missed field goal. That's all Georgia did. And all Matt Jones did was throw to Waddle this 90-yard bomb. Then Bennett threw another bad interception. And then Jones threw to Smith. Uh, Damonte Smith in, uh, in 34-24. In the end of the game, Najee Harris for Alabama. Just unstoppable running. I mean, they have four guys. When you look at Bama, Devontae Smith had 11 catches for 167 yards and two touchdowns. He's going to be a first-round NFL pick. Jalen Waddle, six catches, 161 yards as wide receiver. Uh, another NFL first-round pick. And Najee Harris, the running back, looked like Derrick Henry out there. They could not <laughs> tackle him at the end of the game. And Matt Jones, another great performance. So here's a guy, it's like, oh, he's not going to be the starter this year. He came in for two last year. This is that. He was 24 for 32, 417 yards, four touchdowns, a tremendous game. I mean, Alabama and Clemson are by far, I mean, I don't know how Ohio State's going to come in this mix. I mean, it's the, I want to see Alabama and Clemson play right now because they're just so much better than every other team. Let's talk uh, Texas A&M, Mississippi State. Well, it was so funny. Mississippi State had that big win over LSU the first game of the season, and now they're 1-3. The quarterback that threw, KT, KG Costello, who was the Heisman Trophy candidate, everyone thought threw 600 yards. Remember, Mike Leach came from Washington State and had this crazy the, the whole offense. But, boy, they now look bad. And Texas A&M, that was a win Jimbo Fisher had to have. And now Texas A&M looks like they're like one of these teams. That was, that was probably one of his, I wouldn't say one of his best wins, but it was a, a win he had to have. So uh, it looks like Kansas City is going to put this one out of reach as Harrison Butcher knocks through a 37-yard field goal. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs just doing exactly what they need to do there. 11 plays, 75 yards, takes off four and a half minutes. So now it's nine points that uh, the Bills will have to make up here in just under two minutes. Uh, let's talk about Auburn and South Carolina. Eh? Well, it was one of those games where Auburn, we've been talking about this, um, Bo Nix, they think he's a sophomore quarterback. People said could be in the Heisman race this year. A disaster, three interceptions. Wow, there's a question whether Bo Nix is going to be even make it through this year. Now they're two and two. But the story with the SEC is that you have Alabama as unbeatable, and everybody else has like two wins and two losses. It's the whole league, and then or one win. And besides Vanderbilt, everybody has a win, and you're starting to have these teams. And we're going to the other game is Arkansas beat Old Miss. Uh, and uh, I want to talk about Sam Pittman. So they hired Sam Pittman at Arkansas. Arkansas has been a disaster for like six, seven years right now. But he's turned around in one year. He's from Georgia, and he was he got the job. They were considering Lane Kiffin, who went to Mississippi, who they just played, and Mike Leach, and they chose Sam Pittman. And if you look at his story, he's been at like 20 different schools, bounced around, trying to different jobs, offensive line coach. And it was really nice to see Arkansas uh, have that nice win over over Mississippi, over over Mississippi. And the quarterback for Mississippi sold uh, Matt Carroll at six interceptions. And Felipe Franks from Florida is now the quarterback for Arkansas. But it was like one of those things. Then Kentucky, Tennessee, both those to Tennessee gets blown out of that game. Ira, ever since like three weeks ago, when you said Tennessee might be turning things around. I think our fans in Knoxville are going to hate us because it, it's been really bad since then. Let's go to that ACC though, and we got to see Clemson play, and this is another uh, Trevor Lawrence, um, you know, debut. I guess not debut, but another opportunity to get to see how just special this kid is. He missed. He had, he had twenty-four for thirty-two, but I think at five drops of those, that four hundred yards, five touchdowns, at fifty-two, nothing, and they're playing Georgia Tech, who's a good team. Yeah, I mean. They blow them out seventy three to seven. Uh, 
Clemson is just unstoppable. Now, they're going to play Notre Dame in a couple weeks, and Notre Dame hasn't played well, but they're still ranked fourth in the country. But the point is that you look at Clemson and you look at Alabama, and they're just heads and shoulders above everybody else. Um, you just mentioned Notre Dame. They uh, they played Louisville. Barely. They, they, yeah. well, they won 12-7, and Louisville's not that good a team. And Ian Book, I just, I mean, someone, I guess you're, the guy said, I didn't notice Chase Claypool last year. Yeah, because Ian Book was throwing to him, and he was probably <laughs> overthrowing him the entire time. So now I appreciate him more. But, no, Notre Dame has to look at, as the number four team in the country. That's the worst number four team I've ever seen. So speaking about Miami, and we talk about them often on this show, it seems like they have these trap games every year, whether it's a Pittsburgh, a North Carolina, a Duke, and they just lose games they shouldn't, and they beat Pittsburgh like they should have this weekend. Well, coming off the loss that they had the year, the week before yeah. to Clemson, you think, what's going to happen? And they usually lose that game, the season unravels. So i got to give Manny Diaz credit for getting his team focused and ready. It does help when Kelly Pickett, the star quarterback for Pittsburgh, hurts his ankle the previous week and is not able to play in the game and able to dominate. But, boy, Miami's defense is starting to improve. They were able to stop hitting the red zone a lot, forcing to kick a lot of field goals but no nice win for miami any they had to win the game but that was i think years past they would have lost that game i keep saying i think north carolina is pretty soft eye and florida state who's not a great team got a nice win over there. oh wow there you're totally right about that i mean florida state that first half i mean they talk about holding on i mean they were up uh 31 to 7 at the end of the first half they had a pick six they had a block punt for a touchdown north carolina looked like a disaster but then florida state could do nothing in the second half they had <laughs> florida state gave a clinic on how to blow a lead you're up 31 7 how do you blow <laughs> that lead you have two missed field goals you have three three and outs and interception and then unc had the ball 31 28 with two minutes left and they got down to the 41 and the you the North Carolina receiver dropped the ball. They had a chance they were going to win this game, and they blew because they had comeback. But I guess North Carolina would be a fraud, too, because you can't get blown out by Florida State like that. What are we watching this week? Um, well, oh, one last game. Liberty beat Syracuse. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> Liberty University, they want to beat Syracuse 38-21. That's Syracuse University lost yeah. to Liberty. That's embarrassing. Like, that's crazy. Like, I can't believe they would play the game. It was, like, moved from another time. But I thought that was... Uh, that was unexpected. That, totally unexpected. But no, that Syracuse team is playing Clemson this week. And I haven't seen a oh, line God. yet. It's not posted. I think it has to be 100. And then Virginia's <laughs> at Miami, uh, NC State's at UNC, and Notre Dame's at Pitt, and Florida State's playing at Louisville. So it could maybe a chance for Florida State to get another win. Uh, Big 12, they didn't really play last week, and there's not some good games this week. I was, Iowa State, Oklahoma State. The SEC only has four games, Auburn and Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky and Missouri. And South Carolina LSU. But the big thing is the Big Ten is back. <laughs> so they're back. And that'd be exciting to see Penn State play at Indiana. And Nebraska's playing Ohio State. We get to see how great Ohio State is. And Michigan's at Minnesota on Saturday night. So finally, we're getting the games. And, and these are games are good. They're getting all these conference games and not getting any, any of the Syracuse Liberty games. So <laughs> that should be good. <laughs> got just about five minutes left to go here on Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. Going to UFC, Ira, you loved Dodds uh, fight Saturday night. Well, the fight this coming Saturday. Well, yeah, that's going to be huge. This this fight it'll be sun Saturday after actually Saturday afternoon. Khabib Nagamorov, who's twenty and zero, considered the best fighter in the UFC. Finally, hasn't fought like in a year. It seems like against Justin Gaethje uh, at two o'clock on ESPN. I'm not sure exactly when it, it, it's. You have to buy it at two, but it's on pay per view. But they're because they're doing it from Fight Island. They're actually doing it an afternoon. Uh, match. It's crazy. You remember Gaethje beat Tony Ferguson there uh, at UFC 249. Uh, but yeah, uh, he hasn't fought since September 2019. So it's been, <laughs> been a while since Khabib fought. Everybody remembers Khabib from UFC 229 when he destroyed Conor McGregor in just <laughs> amazing match. And, and that was one of the, the most watched UFC events at all. Um, 
I'm reading a lot about this fight, and Khabib is known as someone who can just, he's from Chechnya, he's tough as nails, mm -hmm. you do not want to meet him in a dark alley at all, and he's the type of person that just takes you down and gets you on the mat, and just will, as you saw with McGregor, forces him to, to submit, just will just tackle you, cannot stand up. Gaethje wants to strike, he wants to kick, he wants to punch. This is going to be one of those fights where what could happen, and I was reading what something McGregor said, is we spent so much time, because that's what McGregor wanted to do, which was striking, he goes, we're worried about, about our defense, we didn't focus on the offense and he goes i think what gaethje's going to do is you're going to start to see being is this is really that you know clash of styles between the guy who wants to get on the ground and the wrestle and the guy who wants to punch and uh and then Egomega is khabib is the favorite but by not that much i mean there's a lot of people i was cbs a lot of people have been picking gaethje to win this fight so i'm comforted i think it's be one of the, it could potentially as the you know be one of the best ufc fights of all time and what about boxing well, this weekend, so I'm all the football, and then Lemachenko is a lightweight from Ukraine against Tiafloma Lopez. I've been watching the last bunch of their fights. Now, Lemachenko had a record of 396. That's correct. 396 and one amateur records. He won two gold medals, and he just started boxing as a pro at like 29 and 30 the last couple of years. And I've never, everyone said he's the best boxer. So everyone has him as the pound to pound best boxer. I'm not blown out. I was never blown away by watching him. So I never thought in my mind he's the best pound-for-pound -pound boxer. I just didn't get that. And Lopez, I've seen him fight. And everyone said he's so great. He's young. He's 23. He's from, uh, um, he's from Brooklyn, actually. And, uh, but it was like one of those. He's 14-1, and one, uh, but uh, he lost his second fight. But the point is that I just thought that – oh, no, actually, that was uh, Lopez is undefeated, 16-0. and 0. But – I just thought it was going to be one of those fights that I thought Lemonchenko was going to win, but he took it easy the first few rounds, and he's known to do that and just let Lopez build up enough rounds. And then at the end, I was one of those fights where Lemonchenko started winning six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. But that twelfth round, Lopez, like the trainers were telling him, his trainers were like, "Say you got the fight one, you got the fight one." He came out and just destroyed Lemonchenko in the twelfth round. <laughs> Crazy. And the but the scoring, so all the scores for the judges were like, "Oh, I think it's gonna be close to be a draw." But it was he actually won like some on some cards like nine three eight eight four, so it wasn't even close. So Lopez now has won three titles. He he actually won three of the four titles. He had a tie. He had one title, and Lomachenko had two. So for it was a good fight, but I wouldn't say one of the greatest. And uh, fights I've seen, but it was like so people like Lopez. We could be the next star, the next superstar. He's twenty three. He now has three titles. Is a lightweight. So he's the. He's the big story right now in boxing. Clippers have their new coach. It's going to be Tyrone Liu. <laughs> well, best of luck. And coaching <laughs> Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and all that. Yeah. I just, I think that's going to be hard to do. And, and, and Lou, I mean, I don't know. I think Lou's going to be hoping he, if it's one thing to coach, I just think it's going to be different. Tyrone Lou knows what he's talking about. He's a great coach. Of course, he beat uh, the Golden State Warriors when they're down 3-1 uh, you know, with, uh, with uh, LeBron James, one of the most greatest comebacks. But I think I think this team is tough. I think Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and I think it's a tough team to coach. And I don't know if they're you have now. LeBron has confidence. Um, this is gonna. This is but they they were comfortable with him as a coach. I mean, he was the assistant last year. It's weird when you fire the head coach and then you bring the assistant in. Yeah. So you wonder how that's gonna. <laughs> Daryl Morey resigned, which I didn't see coming. I sort of saw it coming that he was the general manager of the Rockets who made all the trades. I think he made 75 trades in the past, like, seven years. Like, I like most him. in history <laughs> of all the different trades and moves. But he, of course, criticized China at the beginning of the year uh, for the for the involvement in Hong Kong. And then he was called off of the league and the pandemic started. And uh, But I saw China was extremely happy that they fired or he, he resigned on basketball. Um, I think it's... In some ways, it's a little sad because I do think there was some probably enforcement. You know, the, the NBA is hoping to get back in China, to get all the money with China, to be involved in China and those things. And I just think that's 
a difficult thing because when you have China, you know, you don't really have a head of a country rooting for a general manager team to get fired. No. And I don't think that's <laughs> like, and then also the league is so international, it's so hard to do that. And China says, we well, want to have to follow this line. And I don't think people, you know, you're not looking at this. You want to just have basketball. You don't want to have some foreign power telling teams what general managers they should have on their team. No, absolutely not. Uh, we got just a minute or so left. Let's talk golf real quick, though, because this was a weird weekend. Um, it was weird because of the CJ Cup, the Las Vegas of Shadow Creek, and a lot of good players in this tournament. I mean, you had Colin McCarrow finish 12th, Justin Thomas 12th, John Rom 17th, McElroy 21. But Jason Kokrak playing his 233rd time in 10 seasons, never won a tournament, won his first tournament in this big field, and he won a lot of money too. It was really big. But it was interesting. He, is, he works for MGM. He's a brand ambassador. So this course called Shadow Creek is a very uh, exclusive course. Not many people, I don't think they don't even have members on this course, but he's played it like more than any else so he's huh. very familiar with the course so i think that gave him credit for for winning that and then this coming week we have the zozo championship that's the one if you remember last year the tiger out of nowhere won the tournament in in uh, japan so that's going to be it's, it's now in sherman oaks california it's not in japan there's no bryson there's no johnson no brooks but tigers in the tournament so you got any tournament with tigers in is a big tournament and you have rory and rom and morikawa burger finau fleetwood phil mickelson is in this um, and then in two weeks, you're going to have, so this game, this will be, a, I'm going to watch this tournament this weekend. And then uh, in two weeks, you have the masters. So that'll be great. Really exciting. Can't wait for that. Uh, just before we wrap it up, what's going on in racing? Joey Logano held off uh, Kevin Harvick to win in Kansas. And uh, that sets up now that Harvick has won Hamlin's two. There's only three races left. Kozlowski three uh, going into, they have Texas, Martinsville, and Phoenix. So only three more races uh, in NASCAR's schedule. The Phoenix will be, they'll, they'll come to the final uh, two where they have the final two in Phoenix. So final are, four in Phoenix. What are we doing this week? Well, I got, we have the World Series. So the World Series is going to be Tuesday. You have the football tonight and World Series Tuesday, Wednesday. You can watch the debate Thursday because you don't want to watch the football game. And then you have the World Series Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. An amazing college football game on Saturday. An amazing pro football game Sunday. So this is great. So a lot of football, to ba- football and baseball to watch. I will take it as always. We are out of time though. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.